you so much. It's an honor to be here today. And I mean, the struggle is real. How many guys know the struggle is real? And we're doing real life with a real God. And I'm just excited to hear about what's happening at camp. Um, kids these days are faced with more pressure than we, when I grew up, uh, more so now than, than ever before. And I just think it's a big deal. Um, I want to do this. Can we pray over our students today? And those of you that didn't go to camp and you've got school coming and I just want to pray that the, uh, the spirit of suicide and depression would lift from this city and that we wouldn't have to hear any more stories, you know what I mean? And we'd hear the other stories of God restoring and rejuvenating and filling um, young people's souls. Can we do that? And I don't know if anybody here, I'm not going to call anybody out, but maybe you're struggling with just a heavy cloud, um, just a heaviness. And I love that last song, It's a Giant to You, but I know a giant slayer. And, and it's not God, it's actually the people that are sitting in these seats. And God wants to empower you to see that you can conquer all things because of Christ in you. And so I just want to just speak over our youth. Can we do that real fast? Father, I thank you so much for our students. I thank you that you are in the business of empowering giant slayers. So I call all of our students giant slayers. And I say to depression and I say to suicide, You have no business in this city. So be gone in Jesus' name. Fear, man, Holy Spirit, we invite you to kick him in the teeth. Yeah, we just ask your kingdom would come and your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So real quick, um, if it's your first time, welcome to the Freedom Center Church. My name is Adam Cook. I was on staff here and got to serve with a spiritual mom and dad, Pastor Indina, um, for almost 12 years, seven years ago. So we were sent out from this place in 2012, and I'm, I'm a lead pastor in Idaho. I know everyone is probably going to start thinking Iowa, but it's not Iowa, because I didn't even know where Idaho was before I left either. And it's Idaho, where the potatoes are grown. And uh, if you ever come out and visit, you'll find that there are very few potatoes in the valley where I'm at. Um, Awakened Church owes tremendous, we're just so grateful for this house, for this leader, um, both leaders, Pastor and Dina, and we're grateful for the investment. The church is growing. The church, we, we've doubled in size last summer, and we doubled again in size this summer, and, uh, which is great for us. Um, I hate talking about numbers, but this year I felt the release to just like, you know what, I'm not going to overthink it. We just want to host the presence of God well, and we are seeing miracles. We are seeing people I mean, we're not giving altar calls necessarily. People are just coming to the front receiving salvation. This happened two weeks ago. Um, it's just so cool. I mean, a little girl, two years old. Can I share some quick testimonies? Two-year-old little girl that we've been contending for, and she had like four brain surgeries because of a tumor on her brain, attends our church in our nursery. Um, the doctors were like, as they are cutting open her head, the tumors were gone. And we've been praying for this girl, and now she's, she's back in church. We're praying that she had a stroke while they were operating on her. And so now we're praying that just her crooked smile becomes straight again, but she is all good. She's talking. She just got a crooked smile. And I just told her, man, we're just believing that you're 100% restored. And we're just seeing like a lot of cool stuff happening. And I'm just so grateful for this house. And I can't say it enough. Just so grateful. So how many guys brought your Bibles? I only have so much time, 27 minutes, so I want to jump right in. You guys good? All right. 
I'm just, I'm a brown guy. So in case you're wondering, I'm not a white guy with a great tan. Just want to make sure that that's clear. <laughs> Chris Bear is here today, and he said, yeah, I used to think that you were just a white guy with a great tan. I'm like, no, that's not it at all. <laughs> so it's good to see color in the house. Man, when I left, it was just me. <laughs> so, I, man, I, I, I'm just seeing color all around. It's just so great. It is, it's a big deal. Man. Minorities, man, they're cheering for you. I'm just <laughs> How many of you guys have ever prayed this prayer? God, I want to see my realities shift. I want to improve. I want to get better. I, I, I want to know how to change. Help me be a better husband. Help me be a better daughter, friend, wife, whatever that it may be. You've prayed the prayer. God, I want to change. Show me how to change. Anybody in the house? Right. Okay. Those of you that raised your hand are going to heaven. How many of you guys have ever prayed that prayer? Man, I, I, I want to change. Anybody? Whether it's you're struggling with a terrible habit and you know that it's not healthy, you just want to change. Well, recent studies have shown that 78% of people who have desires and dreams and who, who actually set these goals and that fail at setting these goals or fail at accomplishing their plans is because they're so focused, 78% of people who set goals, they fail because they're so focused on failing. Their mindset is not victorious. Their mindset is in this place of what if I fail and what does it look like if I fail? And so this study, it doesn't say necessarily, but it implies that not only does humanity have flaws, and I'll be the first to stand here and tell you that I have many, but it reveals that we can have a flawed belief system. And today, I want to talk about our belief system. Did you guys know that your behavior, what you do, is directly related to what you believe? If you act like a thug, it's because you believe you're a thug. Your belief system is controlling your behavior. So when you look at your behavior, it's a good thing to kind of reflect and look at your life and say, why did I do that? Well, the real question isn't, why did you do that? The real question is, what are you believing? And so for us today, I'm going to give you a key today, and I've got a lot of power statements for you that are going to be on the center screen, and I don't think this is a power statement. But the question of how do I change? God, how do I change my reality? Because that's what I'm about, man. I, I want my reality to be different right? I want my reality to look different. I want it to match with what God has said it's supposed to look like when I read the Word of God. Well, the question of how do I change, the answer is found in another question. What are you believing? <laughs> what are you believing, church? What am I believing? The question or the answer to the question of how do I change is found in the other question, what am I believing? And the most important question in this next season is not, Lord, what should I do? God, what is your will for my life? God, what is my purpose? It isn't that question. It's the question of, Lord, what should I believe? What should I believe about this relationship? What should I believe about this situation? God, what should I believe about this circumstance or this storm or this trial or this test? What am I believing? John 8, 31 to 32 on the screen if you didn't bring your Bibles, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him. Who's he talking to, church? He's talking to believers. And I came today to talk to believers. And he says this to believers, if you abide in my word. Everybody say word. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, 
and the truth will make you free. See, there's a difference between believing in Jesus and believing like Jesus. Right? I've, I've often asked the Lord, like, man, I, I'm not seeing the freedom or the breakthrough that I'm contending for, and I realize it comes back to my belief system. I believe in Jesus, but do I believe like Jesus? Because Jesus walked the face of the earth fully man, fully man, to be an example to us, mankind, of how to live as chosen sons and daughters of God. He believes that you can walk, actually do greater things than he is doing, that, than he did on, on this planet. You're like, what? how do you know that, Adam? John 14, 12. Greater things you will do than the things that I am doing. Shoot, dang. You know what I mean? Like, if that doesn't call you to a place of responsibility and fullness and a drive to see the more that God has promised humanity through his believers. There's a difference between believing in Jesus and believing like Jesus. Jesus told those who believed in him in this scripture they needed to know the truth. Why? Because freedom comes from knowing and abiding in the truth. Knowing the truth leads us to believe like Jesus. Knowing the truth about a situation, knowing the truth about ourselves, knowing the truth about a a person or a trial that we're in leads us to believe like him. The truth will make you free. How many of you guys want to be free today? Yeah. Yeah, I want to be free in every aspect of my life. Jesus was free because he believed truth in every area of his life. He was free to believe truth in provision, identity, health, power, personal habits, relationships. And God calls us to, us to, the, calls us to this place in Romans to begin this process of renewing our minds. So I want to partner with the series that you are in. And I'm going to mention Romans 12, but I'm also going to mention Romans 8. And I'm excited about Romans. Did you guys know that there are many commentaries on, Ro- on Romans that a lot of the, uh, the different um, great reformers of our day, like Martin Luther, uh, I don't know if you've heard of that guy, but man, he got the Bible into our hands, right? The German guy. Wasn't he a German guy? Yeah. Some white guy, you know, a long time ago. <laughs> Tough crowd. Just kidding. Um, and then uh, also John Wesley, the, 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 the Great Awakening, just different movements, George uh, Whitefield, Whitefield. All these guys credits to the book of Romans as being the book that converted their souls series. You need to dive deeper into Romans because I think if Paul was alive today, that he wrote the book of transformation. If you want guaranteed transformation, read Romans and then start practicing it and your life will look different. Your realities will start to shift and to change. Okay, that's a good word. You should read it. It's good. Everybody repeat after me. I'm big into declarations. Everybody say, I want a victorious mindset. Let's say it again. I want a victorious mindset. So why do we want a victorious mindset? Because I want to live victoriously, right? I want to conquer everything that's in front of me. I don't want obstacles to be obstacles. I want them to be opportunities, right, church? I, I want to slay every giant that comes before me. So let's just, let's just say a quick prayer, and we're going to do it with our eyes open. You have to bow your heads. Everybody say, Father, take me to another level. Let's say it again. Say, Father take me to another level. Yeah, he's a good dad. He wants to see you thrive. He doesn't want to see you just survive. He wants to see you empowered to slay every giant that is in front of you. Power statement on the screen because I want to see my reality change. The kingdom of God is not moved forward by just good conduct, but by good beliefs. 
Good conduct is a result of good beliefs. <clears throat> Romans 12.1, here we go. So let's, let's get into Romans, and this is going to be really good. Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? This is the Passion Translation. Man, I don't know if you guys are digging the Passion Translation. You guys have heard of the Passion Translation? So good. It's fire. Like emoji fire, 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 at least three. It's so good. It's a new translation that they, they've just approved, and it's gone through the process, and it's from the perspective of a good father. And I love this. It says this, beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God to be his sacred living sacrifices and live in holiness, experiencing all, the, all that delights his heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Verse 2, stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. Man, stop living in echo chambers but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. Everybody say think. This is a big deal. He's promising us, Paul is promise, promising us transformation when we change the way we think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. The NASB, which a lot of us have seen before, New American Standard on the screen, We've read this. This is the one that you can quote in your sleep. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living, holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It doesn't say anything here about God renewing your mind, does it, church? Because I used to think God renewed my mind. But how many else you quote a scripture and say, God, renew my mind. I take all thoughts captive in Jesus' name. And I would still think the terrible thoughts. Anybody else? No, it, he's not Mickey Mouse. He's empowering you to know that you can renew your mind. It's your decision. It's your choice. And he says here, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. There is no book like the Bible. It is to be adored. The Bible is not some history, not just a love letter, not just an instruction manual to do life better. The Bible is a human. Jesus is the word. And so I want to know this man because he believed truth in every area of his life. I want to believe truth in every area of my life. One of my New Year's resolutions at the beginning of the year was I want to make this year the Bible my brain. Like, I want it to be my brain because there is so much health and so much truth in it. I love what Bill Johnson says. He says this, and I have it on the screen for you guys. He says, I can't afford to have a thought about me in my head that he doesn't in his head about me. Anytime my mind entertains things that are not absolutely true and central in his perspective about me, then I'm visiting something that will wage war, that will war against what he thinks about me. I can't afford it. How many of you guys do the self-talk? You wouldn't raise your hands because you don't want people to know that you talk to yourself. But all of us do. And today I'm going to talk about how our inner dialogue matters more than we realize. Our inner dialogue matters more than we realize. <clears throat> That's good. I should say that probably. I'm just trying to move along. I only have 14 minutes here. Um, yeah. 
I just want us to see the value of the Word of God. I feel like there's so many stats out there that talk about how the Word of God is becoming less and less important to believers. I really don't know how you're going to change if you don't continue to read the Word of God, right? Um, you can go through a lot of self-help books, and those are actually really important and valuable, but there is something about the Word of God. And the Word of God, the purpose of us knowing the Word isn't so that you guys would be good Bible scholars or you could debate an atheist or you could, you know what I mean, convince somebody to follow God. That's not the purpose of the Word. The purpose of the Word was to change your reality. And so here's, here's what you got to know. I, this is a power statement. I think I have this on the screen. God, is it, yeah, here, God's Word wasn't meant to build up our theology. It wasn't meant to build up our study habits so that we can be better preachers or better pastors or better knowers of theology. It was meant to change our reality. Like, I, that, that's the purpose of the Word of God. That's why Jesus walked on this planet. And so I, I, I hope to unpack some of his heart before you guys. And this is really important. I want you guys to say this with me. Say, I want my reality to change. I'm going to say it again. Say, I want my reality to change. We are not transformed by reading the Bible as much as we are by renewing our minds with its truths. That, that's what changes our reality. It's not just reading, it's practicing the truths that God puts before us. The Hebrew word levav is the most common word that he uses for heart in the Bible. So when you read different scriptures and they start talking about the heart, the Hebrew word heart actually includes our thoughts, our will, our discernment, and our affections. And so I want to give you guys some scriptures to see how our minds and our hearts are intricately connected. That when God talks about your heart, he's talking about your thoughts as well. You guys still here? Everybody still hanging? All right, good. Psalm 119.11 on the screen. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Why would you hide the word in your heart so that I don't sin against God? My thoughts are being washed with the word of God. Proverbs 3.1. My son, my daughter, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands where, church? In your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Verse 5, most commonly quoted scripture, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Remember, heart here in the Hebrew actually means thoughts, will, discernment, affections. And lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Submit to him and he'll make your path straight. Proverbs 4.20, my son, my daughter, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them where, church? Within your heart. Passion translation, this is good. Verse 21, fill your thoughts. Everybody say thoughts. He says, fill your thoughts with my words until they penetrate deep into your spirit. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Who wants health in their body? And this is some good whamma jamma. This is why the Bible is so powerful and so good, and why we need to hide it, to make it our self-talk, our inner dialogue. Verse 23, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. The message translation reads, keep vigilant watch over your heart. That's where life starts. I want to say right now that your thoughts matter than you, more than you know. Your thoughts your thoughts, power statement, our lives, our decisions move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Our lives, our decisions that we make move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. 
if you're, if you're moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts, this is what's really cool. You, your thoughts, if they're full of faith, they're full of God's truth, then more and more each day you're going to look like Christ. But if your thoughts are full of toxic, polluted negativity, criticism, I promise you, you will not have a victorious mindset. Right? I know this is basic, but if we can get this as believers, if we can start self-talking ourselves through a process, I am more than a conqueror. I'm an overcomer. I will slay this giant. Why? Because I'm an ambassador of hope. I am loved. I am chosen. So when I feel rejected, that's a feeling. But faith says, no, I am adopted. So I choose to partner with faith instead of feeling. See how self-talk starts to work? But so what we're doing is we're filling our thoughts over and over with the things that the enemy wants us to echo and amen, and that's why we live below what God has called us to. And we wonder why realities don't shift and freedom doesn't come and breakthrough doesn't come. Romans 8, 5, uh, 5 through 6, it says this, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Anybody want life and peace? I know. Your inner dialogue matters more than you know. Man, I don't know how you do it, Pastor Jim. I'm trying to just cruise through here. Okay, all right. I know I timed you last week. <laughs> yeah. How many of you guys will give me like five more minutes? Anybody? Five, 10, 15? Great. All I need is 15 more minutes, yes. <laughs> uh, I got that from this guy over here. It's fun using his jokes in, in Idaho because no one's ever heard them. I know you guys have heard them a thousand times. And you guys just laugh because it's courteous. You know what I mean? I do too. I just like, that is funny. It's funny. <laughs> you know, it's just kind of one of those moments, you know. <laughs> uh, if your inner dialogue matters, if it is true that our lives move in the direction of our strongest thoughts, then let me ask you this question. Are you excited about the direction of your life that your thoughts are taking you? You know what I mean? Like, are you excited about what your thoughts are telling you every single day about a person, about a situation? I know we all face giants. Man, we got issues, right? We all face real stuff. Are you excited about where your thoughts are taking you when you face those real things? If it is true that our lives move in the direction of our strongest thoughts, what is dominating your inner dialogue? Because whatever you tolerate dominates, right? So if you tolerate criticism, negativity, it eventually just comes out of your mouth. It, it eventually is the filter in which you see everybody around you, the filter in which you see God, the filter which in how you embrace who God is and what God has invited you to be a part of. I want to invite the, um, the keys, Ashley, forward. So I'm going to land the plane. It takes about 15 minutes to land the plane, if that's cool. All right, if you've ever flown before. Uh, we're going to get ready to land the plane. Uh, a little bumpy here, and uh, we'll get down there in Detroit real soon. All right. Oh, by the way, it's only uh, 30 degrees in Detroit right now and uh, cloudy. Good luck. I mean, seriously, that's what they say every time. Flying into Detroit is great. Hebrews 3.10. I want to close with um, 
the story of the Israelites, but I want to give you some context before, I, before we get there, because I believe that the Israelites, truly the story of the Israelites is a foreshadowing of God's people and their identity and us walking through this process of finally being what he has called us to be. Again, I, I want to have his thoughts. There's an altar up here today, and it's the altar of God's thoughts about you. And we're going to lay down our thoughts about ourselves and about a situation before the Lord today because he invites us to surrender. And when we surrender and we begin to practice his truths, our realities start to shift. But you need to stop thinking everything the enemy has said about you to be true over your life. And I can, I can attest to this. This is victory in my own life. So Hebrews 3.10, it says this, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. Hang with me for a moment because I want you to see again how our hearts and minds are so connected. So Hebrews, let's rewind just a few scriptures, 3, 7 through 10. It says, today, if you hear his voice, everybody say word. The word of God is his voice. And the voice of God, the fact that he allows us to hear his voice, he's a good dad. His voice is what transforms us, his word, practicing his voice. And he says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the time of the rebellion. During the time of the testing in the wilderness, <laughs> where your ancestors tested and tried me, Though for 40 years they saw what I did, that is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. The message says this, they'll never keep their minds on God. They refuse to walk down my road. So let me give you guys some context. How many of you guys know the story of Moses and the Israelites being delivered out of Egypt, right? You guys seen the Prince of Egypt or the Ten Commandments? We'll go way back, the Ten Commandments. Um, here's what's important about this whole story in this little bit of history. Again, I believe this is the process in which we walk and change in, in, in this place of seeing our realities shift. And it's found in our identity. Again, it's found in our belief system. Your behavior... Because I want to see change. Your behavior is directly related to what you believe. And so you have these people who are coming out of slavery, and they've been enslaved for 400 years. Not like 20 years, not 50 years, 400 years they've been in slavery. So for generations upon generations, they've been enslaved. So you can imagine what that does to a psyche, what that does to your heart, what that does to your life. They've watched their wives and their children raped, pillaged. They've watched their stuff be taken. They, they've, they've been starved. They've been beaten 400 years. It's a big deal. So they've pretty much, this generation has grown up in slavery. All of the disappointments, all of the empty promises, the repeated cycles of hearing their forefathers say, our deliverer is coming. You're going to break through, Adam. It's coming. Your change is coming. And for 400 years, they saw nothing. We, we can't even relate to what it means to be enslaved. So we don't have any clue or any idea. I mean, maybe the IRS, but very, very, very different right? Very different. Having a taskmaster tell you what to do, how to live, 
And so for 400 years, they're in slavery. And then suddenly blood, hail, locusts, darkness, death, plagues come. They descend upon Egypt. Pharaoh finally says, okay, take these people. They leave. And then what happens? And this is kind of what I want to bring to our attention. They're pinned up against the Red Sea. They're standing there. They're thinking they're free of this stuff. And then they're right there. There's the ocean. And they look behind them. Pharaoh changes his mind. He's coming after them to kill them, run them over with their chariots. And they're like, Moses, dude, what, you brought us out here to die. What are we going to do? And I love this because Moses does something incredible. He takes his stick. He raises it in the sky. The Red Sea parts. I don't know about you, but if I was standing at Lake Michigan, which I was just this last week, and I saw an old dude like Charlton Heston with a long beard raise his staff and Lake Michigan parts, that's kind of a big deal, right? I would be like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, wow. You know, and so they cross on dry land. They, they cross to the other side, and there's... There's a, it's a whole nation of people. We're talking over a million people are crossing through. So it took some time. And then Egypt goes in there and God swallows them up and their past is no more, right? They're like, dude, that's awesome. Yeah, they celebrate on the other side. And this is what they do in Exodus 15. They say this. This is crazy. They just witness the immense power of God. I think I have this on the screen. Maybe I don't. They're like, the Lord is our warrior. He has come to deliver us. And for the first time in history, they can identify with God being a deliverer of their circumstance. Prior to that, they couldn't. And then what happens? A day later, a day goes by, they start complaining. A week goes by, they start saying, I hate leadership, I hate the pastor, I hate this church, I hate that you've brought us out of here. Months go by and now they're building idols. Isn't that the condition of the human heart? We have this experience at the altar of God, tears racing down our face. And then we go back to face reality and it's like nothing ever changed. I do believe this was a real thing, but why is it that it hasn't changed when I get out there? I'm not talking about that changing. I'm talking about me. Oh, about a day goes by, a week goes by, and I'm complaining, where's God? He's not really here. And then I go back to business as usual. Right? I've been there, church. I'm speaking from experience. I'm one of the Israelites. I can relate to this story. Suddenly the process of freedom is too hard. Suddenly the process of healing seems unbearable. The process of, of my reality changing, it seems too painful. It's not worth it. It's the unknown. I've identified in unhealthy slop. I've, in, I've identified with unhealthy business for so long. To leave that just seems too scary. And these people are in this place and it says this, the Israelites in Exodus 16, 3, why didn't God just let us die in comfort in Egypt? I mean, it got so bad. They start saying this to Moses, why didn't you just leave us in Egypt? In slavery, church, remember, 400 years of slavery. Why didn't you just leave us there? It got so bad, they wanted to go back to where they were because the process of healing was too much. Man, I got to deal with my heart? I got to change? Right? None of us are praying that about our spouse, right? Or ourselves. We're like, God, change him. Change her. And God's like, man, it's about you. You know what I'm saying? 
And this is what's happening. It's about you guys. You know, God, it's too painful. It's, it's too hard. I can't deal with disappointment anymore. I gave my love to him or to her. Does it really require me to change? I gave my soul to God. Does it really require me to change? And the reason why it's so hard and the reason why we avoid renewing our minds and actually practicing the truth is because it will cost you something. Like, it costs you something, church. Paul knew this when he was writing Romans. It's not like this fairy tale when he's writing Romans. I don't know if you've been reading through Romans, but man, when I read it, it's like, oh, man, I'm called to so much more. Not, oh, I feel guilty and shame. No, man, I'm called to more, and I'm living below what I'm supposed to live. And this is the Father's heart towards the Israelites. They're back and forth. They're complaining they, they, here's what's interesting. They, weren't, they didn't look like slaves anymore. They weren't dressing like slaves anymore. They weren't in physical captivity anymore, but they still had a mindset that was enslaved. And this is the part that breaks because if you don't change your mindset, you'll go back to business as usual. If you don't change your belief system, you'll go back to business as usual. This is why I correct my kids. I tell them who they are before correcting their behavior. You're a kind boy and kind boys don't behave this way. I'm identifying who you are and then I'll correct your behavior. You'll see that throughout the New Testament, Paul does that to the church of Corinth, which is a terrible, they were doing terrible things. And what does he say to them? He says, saints, believers, stop sinning because you're called to more. Then I'm called to more. That's why I choose not to sin. <laughs> and so this is what's happening here. So what's the point, Adam? Like you're supposed to be landing the plane. <laughs> you guys got time for one more scripture? Just one more portion of scripture? <clears throat> Numbers 13. I wanna, I wanna give you time for one more truth here. Numbers 13, 25 through um, 33. He says, when they, and this is the Israelites, man. I love reading all about this. Pastor Jim's got like a huge study on the land of not enough, more than enough, enough, just enough, more enough. <laughs> it was, it's, it's actually an incredible series. I just can't remember the order or how it goes, that part, the title, but um, learned a lot from this man. But in numbers, you're going to see the Israelites again. And check this out. This is, this is eye-opening. I need you to like, this is tunnel vision. Here we go. When they return from spying out the land, right? So now they're getting in there. They finally get through all of this like crazy stuff. And God, I mean, he's so patient with us, right? So he's like, here's the promised land. The economy's booming. The, 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 the minerals in the ground, it's rich in resources. Man, you could throw a flag anywhere and it's going to multiply. You can think of any business idea. It's, gonna, it's just going to be successful. So they go into the land. They're getting ready. They're going to go spy it out because they can't just like, it wasn't, it was, it wasn't even given to them. Like, they have to go and fight for it. Like, God's like, I'm giving you the land, but you got to possess it. And he's doing that because he's trying to work the slave mentality out of them. I'm not going to hand you food. I did that in the, in the wilderness for a season, but now it's time for you to sow and reap. So you need to get busy because practicing my truths is work. And I'm going to teach you how to work. So you got to go fight for this. And it says, when they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and tell the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh, and they brought back word to them. This is interesting. They brought back a word to all of the people, and they showed them the fruit of the land. 
Thus, love that word, they told him and said, we went into the land where you sent us. So they sent 12 spies in. And it certainly does flow with milk and honey. It is rich in resource. I mean, it's insane. We have a word and a promise from God that we are to possess the land. Nevertheless, this is what they say. The other 10 spies, the people who live in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and they're very large. This is crazy. You guys hanging? And moreover, they say, everybody say moreover. Because I feel like we tell God about our disappointments and we tell him how we can't conquer the land, but wait a minute. And then, we, and then God's like, well, and then we're like, hang on, there's more. <laughs> moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of Negev and the Hittites and the otherites and the Amorites. And look, they're living in the hill country. There's hillbillies there. <laughs> and the Canaanites, if you're a hillbilly, you are welcome at the Freedom Center. I just want to make that very clear. <laughs> True, it is very true. <laughs> and the Canaanites are living by the sea. I mean, there are some warriors there. There are some giants there. There are strong people there. And then what does Caleb do? I love this guy in Joshua. They quiet the people. They're like, hang on, hang on. Stop talking. Because our inner dialogue matters more than we know. Stop talking. Hear what we have to say. We should by all means go up and take possession of it for we will surely overcome it. I love this. But then these other guys, the 10 that went up with them, they said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are too strong for us. Verse 32. So they gave out to the sons of Israel bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, the land there, or the land through which we had gone and spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it, they're men of great size. They're also the Nephilim. Like, that's a big deal. That's where Goliath is said to come from. Like, they're there. Giants are there. And what do they say? These are the 10 spies. What do they say to the entire congregation? We became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Church, check this out. Whose sight, whose sight are they talking about? Who saw them as small? They did. Did God see them as small, or did he say, you can go and possess the land? Think with me. God doesn't say, you're not enough. Who usually tells you you're not enough? You do. Who usually tells you you're not more than a conqueror? You do. Who usually tells you you're not loved, and you are rejected, and you'll never have this in life, you'll never get married, and you'll always live below? Who, who tells you that? Is it God, or is it you? And so they, they identify with what they're saying about themselves. And this is a big power statement. And this is huge on the screen. When you don't have God's vision of you, you end up with the enemy's vision of you. When you don't have God's perspective of who you are, you end up with your own or the enemy's perspective of who you are. And usually your own is echoing and amening what the enemy has said about you long ago. And that is why we live below what God has invited us to live. And I'm here to tell you, I can't afford to live idle. I can't afford to waste my time. Um, uh, Kyle, if you could come up. I can't afford the team. I can't afford to waste my time. I can't afford to be complacent. I can't afford to have thoughts that aren't true about who I am. You know what I mean? Like, I can't afford this. Because there's something that God wants to call us to. And I, I, I asked the team to uh, lead this song. I don't... Uh, oh, they're coming? Great. 
I don't have my glasses on, so I can't see anybody's face. <laughs> but I do see a lot of white. Sorry, I just uh, need to stop that. <clears throat> I can't afford to have a thought like Bill Johnson was saying. I can't afford to entertain a thought that isn't true of who God says I am. Right? We just read in Romans that my life, if I'm dominated by negativity, sinful thoughts, then I'll behave just like that. But if I'm dominated by the Spirit of God, and it doesn't mean that you're, I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about just renewing your mind. If you know anything about renewing your mind, it's not perfect. It's actually pretty sloppy. It's pretty messy. Any time that I have an impure thought of any type of sexual morality, and I'm being vulnerable, I say out loud, I have to say this out loud while I'm driving in my car, I am a son of God. Man, I am I, a son, I am a faithful man of God. I choose to be chosen before him. And I start saying these things, and guess where my mind starts going? A faithful son, a chosen and adopted kid. I mean, that's how you renew your mind. You have to talk to yourself because I'm talking to myself all the time except it's inward. So now, when you start talking outward, it's amazing what your mind starts to do, right? If I had to say elephants right now, you guys are starting to picture elephants. Weird pink ones from Dumbo? Like, that's just even more weird, right? You're starting to think of the weird pink elephant moment in in Dumbo. Maybe no one's seen Dumbo, the old cartoon. Okay, wow. Doesn't matter. It has no relevance to what we're talking about right now. I'm just trying to make a point. Terrible one. (sighs) Yeah, me too. Yeah, thanks that someone's here that likes me. No, but I asked the team to lead us in this song, this last song that we sang, um, You Are My Champion. <laughs> we've been doing about eight weeks in a row at Awaken, and we've seen healings, we've seen um, chronic illness, um, we've seen tumors, not just in the two-year-old, I forgot there's a guy, another guy who has tumors on his brain, Josiah, tumors shrinking. Um, we've seen uh, physical healings of people that couldn't lift their arms and always came in with a shoulder brace, lift his arm up, the brace fell off his arm. It's like, what in the world's happening right now? God, you're doing things. And it's because all of us have faced giants. And a lot of our giants have to do with this thing, our stinking thinking. And I wonder if we could just, in this moment, because we've gone over, if we can just allow this to wash our hearts and our thoughts and and, and begin to practice these truths, and, and watch God do something in us. And Kyle, if you could start at the chorus, he's just going to sing this chorus, and then um, I don't know how you can transition into the bridge, but you have to do that somehow. Um, that's why you get paid the big bucks. And, uh, yep. <clears throat> but I want us to sing this. Can we stand together, church? And I just want us to make this a truth. <laughs> Every time we sing this chorus, you are my champion, I, and giants fall when he stands, I picture my God just, just, I mean, he doesn't have to pull out a slingshot. <laughs> he doesn't have to pull out a slingshot. I just picture God when the enemy's screaming in my mind about who I'm, who he thinks I am and who I think I am and not who God says I am. I picture God sitting off the throne, and as soon as he stands up, giants just kneel before God. Every, everything. Every name about the name of Jesus, everything, the name of cancer, the name of, of, of challenges and circumstances and trials and storms and disappointments and despair and depression and suicide, 
everything will bow at the name of Jesus, right? So when we sing this chorus, this is what I want you guys to visualize. Our Father sitting up from His throne and everything falling at His feet because He's that big. He's that powerful. And we need to start saying that over our lives. Not, you are my champion. No, like, you are who you say you are and I am who you say I am.